Um, last week we looked at caring for people, and this was in uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. And then we were to think of those who suffer, and uh, that was in verse 3, particularly prisoners, those Christians around the world that are suffering persecution, and also pain, those who are in pain, mistreated believers. This is kind of a personal sermon for me, uh, and I even gave a couple of uh, mothers who have small children heads up. Um, Again, when you look at Hebrews 13, you notice, you see the practicality of it. It's very practical. They're mostly didactic uh, teachings. Didactic simply means uh, commands that are given. And we have some more today. And uh, like I said, this is a couple of personal stories here um, uh, from my childhood, being eight years old, and what I experienced, and why I am so adamant uh, about certain things. Well, this morning we want to look, first of all, at marriage must be honored. Marriage must be honored. Let marriage be held in honor among all. And this word, gamos, it's an interesting word for marriage because it actually refers to a wedding hall. kind of like this. Uh, I remember the day Brian and Veronica got married and we walked over the bridge. Uh, Think about this open area that we had out there. Really refers to the marriage hall where the marriage vows would take place. And uh, of course, Jewish tradition is quite different than ours, but nonetheless, it is to be held in honor Timimos, timimos, and that means pertaining to being of considerable value or worth. This is actual, just reading from the Greek uh, lexicon of the New Testament. Pertaining to be considerable, of considerable value or worth. Think of the word precious when you think of marriage. And uh, it, it should go without saying that In Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, we read, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So a couple things we can draw out of this. Number one is that when a man and a woman marry, they are forming a new family unit. That family unit will then produce offspring, and the offspring will produce a new family unit when they get married, and so forth and so on. This is how God expands the human race in our culture. A second thing, and I'll say this, and there's going to be some maybe bad responses since we're on YouTube, but what we see here also is that the man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Marriage is between one man and one woman. And that's pretty much the end of discussion for believers. And I unapologetically say that one man and one woman is God's design for marriage. And of course, you go on to have children, and then those children go on to have children. Another thing that we can draw just from this verse is that uh, 
the, the parental guidance is then forfeited. It doesn't mean you don't listen to your mother and father, but when, you've, when you uh, uh, establish a new family unit, the husband is the head of that unit. And so many times I have counseled people over the years when the, in, when the uh, in-laws begin influencing the marriage, then you have a problem. I actually fell prey to that myself as a young man. Uh, and uh, of course, then I have learned since then that uh, the husband is the head of the wife and they work together. A fourth thing that we note here is that they shall become one flesh. Many of you that have been married over a long period of time, uh, to give you some practical things, you kind of know what your spouse likes, what she doesn't like, he doesn't like, and you actually begin thinking together. And the purpose of marriage, the purpose of marriage as defined by God is one man, one woman, and they grow together with God at the head and they become one flesh. So many of the marriage problems start when the marriage is not based in God. Now, I... Uh, I want to talk here about something that's, uh, I think, kind of important. Origen, one of the ancient church fathers, said that uh, you really shouldn't be married. And he was actually teaching this. He actually became a eunuch because he thought he could serve God better. And the Apostle Paul also warned about this in 1 Timothy 4.3. He said, there are some that will forbid you to marry. And the Apostle Paul was single. He never married, but he said, look, marriage is of God and therefore should be honored. Marriage was established by God and therefore it is an honorable and valuable element of society. And of course, you look around our society today and you know what the problem is. The problem is that we have gotten away from the biblical mandate of marriage. And so when you have the collapse of the family, it should re uh, uh, reasonably follow that you're going to have a collapse in the culture where right is, right is wrong and wrong is right and all these things. And we see this unfolding in our culture today. Now I want to get a little more specific. This is the uh, uh, second thing that I want to talk about, purity. And let, let me say this. I'm going to give some per, personal illustrations here and, and why I feel so adamant about marriage. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. Undefiled is amiantos, amiantos in the Greek language. And that means basically pertaining not to being ritually defiled with the implication of moral defilement. The word literally means untainted. Thomas Lay in his commentary, and I had to remove some of the words because I don't want to be, uh, I didn't know if there was going to be any young children here, but this phrase refers to intimacy within marriage, meaning husbands and wives should remain, and I removed uh, David Allen, which I'm sure he's not worried about it, but uh, faithful to one another and to their marriage vows. Whenever we, whenever I do a wedding, I always have 
marriage vows that are given. And one of those, I guess my, my big fear is uh, that somehow I'll mess those vows up. <laughs> my, uh, do you promise this awful dreaded wife instead of lawful wedded wife? Uh, stuff, stuff like that. But um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now let me tell you something. It is so important, it is so important to remain faithful physically and emotionally to your spouse. I'm going to share something that happened to me when I was eight years old. And uh, when I was eight, my father left my mother for another woman. I remember as an eight-year-old boy getting in the car with my aunt Lois and my mom, my brother, me, and my cousin Debbie. I was eight. Debbie's two years younger than me, so she would have been six. And we're actually driving around to find my dad. And I remember wiping the window and my aunt and my mom going up to the door and they found my dad. But what we didn't know, or I didn't know at the time, and I found out much, much later, was that my uncle was in the house with another woman. That leaves an impression. And the relationship with my father was, was never quite the same. And I'm telling you that when I got married, the first thing that was on my mind was I am never, ever going to put my kids through what I went through. And, and it did. It, it, uh, it, it damaged my relationship with my father. And before he died, number one, I asked, Dad, have you trusted in Christ? Yes, I've trusted in Christ. Then in a quiet moment with me and my dad, I said, Dad, is there anything that you would like to tell me and John about you leaving when we were little? I was just amazed. He looked at me and he goes, no. I think of my grandparents and my grandfather, Frazier, how they stayed together my grandmother Porter and Papa Porter stayed together. How important that was in my life and surely in my brother's life if he would talk about it. It's so important that you remain faithful to the vows that you committed that day. It doesn't mean that everything's going to be roses and, and that you get married and I'm sure there's stuff that I do that drives Audrey crazy. She tells me every chance she gets. But <laughs> Here's the deal. When you make a commitment at the altar with the pastor and before God, you keep that commitment. Now, let me say this. There are times when even I have advised that a person leave a relationship. Number one, number one, a woman is not a punching bag. There was a woman in my last church that she came to church one Sunday and I noticed bruises on her and I said, 
you must have had a rough morning or something, and she talked to me privately that her husband was beating her on a regular basis. Oh, there aren't too many things that get me worked up. That was one of them. And he was not willing to get help. And I said, if he's not willing to get help, you need to get out of there. Jesus would never want a woman to be beaten. And so I take this stuff personally. And because I lived it, I lived it as a young boy. And so regardless, Get, if your marriage is in trouble today, those of you that are watching by YouTube, if your marriage is in trouble today, please go to counseling. Get counseled. He says, let the marriage bed be undefiled. That means that uh, you remain pure and faithful to your wife. I could, I could talk a very long time about this subject. Um, most of the time, at least what I see, most of the time when people, and, and, and by the way, as far as I know, I mean, I've done, I've done I, I don't do too many weddings because of what I'm getting ready to share with you. <laughs> Let me get this back up, yeah. Um, most of the time, marriages end over a variety of things. But I can tell you this, that the day that you make the commitment to your spouse, that's the day you nail it down. You say, okay, this is it. And, and actually, it's for the benefit of everybody in your family. Now, when I started out as a, as a young pastor in Dr. Haney's class, I'd already been migrating this way any, anyway, but... Um, he talked to us about marriage and, and counseling and the importance of marriage. Um, leaving your spouse because you don't like the sports that they watch is not a biblical reason for leaving your spouse. Leaving your spouse because she cannot cook is not a biblical reason to leave your spouse. He says here, let the marriage bed be undefiled. And that means untainted. That means physically in relation with your wife or your husband. So when I do marriages, and by the way, as far as I know, in the marriages that I've done, there's only been one divorce. There's only been one. And in fact, a couple of Christmases ago, I received a letter from a, from a couple that was, were in our church, and they said, Pastor Mike, thank you for saving our marriage. And that was unexpected. That's probably 2017, somewhere in there. I say a couple of years ago. It's been five, six years. But, and I hope that they, I hope that they're still together. So when I marry people, I set very high standards. I had one guy when I was at uh, Northside Baptist Church. He called me on a Thursday, I believe. It was later in the week. And he said, uh, is this Pastor Mike? I said, yes, it is. And he said, um, uh, I need to get married this weekend. Can you do the wedding? And I said, absolutely not. He responded back to me with, well, <laughs> I've, I'm a member of that church. And I said, well, I've been here a year and I've never seen you. He said, well, what do you require? And I said, you don't have enough time for what I require. Number one, both must be believers. 
I do not marry unbelievers with believers. I just don't do it. There's a lot of biblical evidence. 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And now the argument could be made, well, in Corinthians, Paul talks about if you have an unbelieving spouse that you're to remain with them. That's true. The way that can be explained is that both were not saved, one got saved, and then they had to, they had to toe the line. So if you're married to an unbeliever, remain with that unbeliever if you can, if it's possible, and if they don't violate biblical mandates. Second, I have to have seven counseling sessions. We go through finances, we go through physical relationships, we go through just a, I've got seven of them that, that we go through. And you know, it's always, it's always fun for me to do that because we can have dialogue and uh, all these things, and it really does, I think, help. Both must faithfully attend the church for six months. This has been my policy for years. Six-month attendance in church. And, and for the guy, I, the guy that, uh, that he, got, he got mad at me. He said, I can't believe you're not going to marry us. And I said, well, uh, my issue is that you've not been in church. I don't know this girl that you're marrying. And... Uh, uh, I don't know what happened, but I just told him, I'm sorry, you're going to need to find another pastor. And believe me, there are pastors out there who will marry anybody for $150. The, the problem is, the, the problem is, is that devalues the importance of marriage. And those of you that have stayed together with your spouses for a long time, let me thank you for that because you have set a, a example for those. And, and again, it's not going to be, I don't know what the expression is, cracker and cheese or whatever it is. It's not always going to be fun. And there's going to be valleys. Many of you know, many of you know that there's going to be valleys and there's going to be uh, difficult times and there's going to be hard times, but you can work through there. And so I would encourage you to do that. All right. Now, he leaves the marriage, and he goes on to talk about being content in life. See, this is, these are not, they're not really seemingly re related. These are, these are I, 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 the, for lack of better term, these are like many proverbs that he just puts together in, in a row. And he says here, and be content in life. Keep your life free from the love of money. Life is tropos, which really refers to the behavior of your lifestyle. So you could say it this way, keep your lifestyle free from the love of money. Uh, <laughs> Chasing the American dream. Uh, kind of hard to do nowadays with 8% interest on mortgage. Uh, but you know, do you really need a, I remember Dr. Lee was talking about King Solomon, all the rooms that he built, and Dr. Lee was my Old Testament professor in Bible college, and he said, how many rooms can you sleep in in one night? You can only sleep in one. doesn't mean, when, I, when we're talking here about pursuing materialism, we're not talking about that you can't have nice things. 
But the question is, do you really need a three-story mansion when there's only two people? It means to, you have to have a house to live, you have to have an apartment, a house, trailer, whatever you live in, uh, but it means not allowing that pursuit of bigger and better, keeping up with the Joneses. Most young people go into massive debt to try to project uh, that they have the good life. And he says here, keep your life free from the love of money. Uh, I, I came across this um, this week. This is a, what do they call this again? It's a Rolls-Royce boat tail car. Now, Rolls-Royce, you know it's going to be expensive. I bet you couldn't guess the price tag on this little vehicle right here. The, the price tag for this vehicle is $28 million. Uh, do you know what $28 million could do on the stage of world hunger? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gold-plated, this is in the trunk where you open it up and you say, do you have any gray poupon? Uh, you have 28 million, I was shocked. And that was like the second highest car. Do you really need the latest car? Uh, I mean, it doesn't mean you can't have a nice car, but this is ridiculous. Be content. Keep your life free from the love of money. And uh, the problem is that when you are chasing money, a guy way back in my first full-time church, he became friends with uh, a deacon in our church who I believe was not saved. His lifestyle definitely didn't. And he came under this guy who had a $500,000 house. Um, he said, I want to make enough money to tie to the church. Okay. And so he was pursuing making more money because this guy had a house that he would like to upgrade his lifestyle to. It, very, very transparent. Very transparent. And I just nodded. That same rich man became an albatross around my neck during that ministry. Ray Stedman in his commentary, loving money must be particularly to be avoided as it becomes a substitute for faith in God and God's loving care and induces a false trust in unreliable supply. First Timothy, Paul writing to Timothy. This verse is butchered all the time. For the love of money is the root of all evil, for which some have strayed from their faith in greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Money is not the issue. The issue is the love of money. That's the issue. You need money to survive in this culture. 
you have to pay rent, you have to do, you have to buy groceries. You, so it's not money that is evil. It is the love of money that is evil. That is, I just want to make more and more and more and more. And I've, I'm going to step on whoever, whoever I have to, to get to the top. I'm going to cut somebody down so that I can jump ahead in, in line and that I can get a bigger payday. Listen, if that is the motivation, you should not have or pursue that job. But if you feel like you can, and I'm not saying you should stay where you're at in your station of life, you need to pray about it and ask God, but money should not be the central issue. Because when you do that, you start compromising your Christian walk. Do you really need that that much? Is it really that important? And I know pastors, I know pastors that, it's amazing. It's just, it, it befuddles me sometimes. What pastors will do to get up to the next level of church? Did I ever tell you about my, my hot tub experience in Indianapolis? This was, I don't know, 2010, 2011. And I, it was the last time that the Southern Baptists had their convention. And after a long day of watching people vote, and I, I got in the hot tub and there was this pastor that came in and got in the hot tub. It was a big hot tub, trust me. I wouldn't get that close. But he, he sat down and he said, how are you doing? I said, I'm doing fine. I'm Pastor Mike. He said, I'm pastor so-and-so, and he put his arms out like this, and he said, I pastor a mega church. My first knee-jerk reaction, and I didn't say it, which I would have, I pastor a little 50-member church. <laughs> really? It, it happens in the pastoral ministry, too. One stepping stone after another. And you know what I've learned through the years? Be content with where you are. It doesn't mean that I wish things wouldn't change. We'd have more people. That's not the issue. The issue is that you don't pursue something simply for monetary gain. Because then you can be open to all kinds of mistakes and problems and heartaches. In our first church, we went from... 25 in Sunday school and 40 in worship to about 150 in worship and 90 in Sunday school over a three-year period. It was exceptional growth. With that exceptional growth came exceptional problems. So, kind of interesting. And the big thing was money. The big thing was money. And it ultimately destroyed certain people in that church because of money. And he says here to be content with what you have. It doesn't mean that you can't, you can't uh, get a degree and, and maybe improve your station in life, but don't let it become the focus point of your life. Don't let it shroud other things of Christ. Use it, yes, you should probably try to improve your family uh, position, but not to the point in the exclusion of your Christian faith. That becomes problematic.
Content. Arco. That means to say I've had enough. I guess many of us, myself included, would do good to learn the lesson to be content with what you have. And by the way, the grass isn't always greener on the other side of the fence, by the way. You may live in a big house and you have no idea what's going on inside that house. When I was at Midwestern Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Audrey worked for a family and on the outside it was a nice house, it was a big house. The man was dying with ALS and the wife had cancer. You have no idea what's going on in the inside. So the pursuit of happiness, temperate. God has given you, how many of you are homeless today? How many of you do not have food? How many of you do not have an automobile? Let me tell you this, you're blessed. You are blessed. Count your blessings and be content for the most part with what you have. There's other things I, I, I keep wanting to add to my telescope and all these things. That's what we're talking about here is being content in life. That's one of the most important things that you can ever achieve in this life. It's to say, okay, I like what God has provided for me. And I'm going to be happy with what God has provided. And there's times you wrestle with it. I get it. There's, there's times that you wrestle with it. But stay the, stay the course. And then lastly, the promise. He says, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Aniami, I like that word, aniami, I will never. And, and what that word means is, God says it this way, if I can give you a, a little illustration. He will never unfasten from you. I will never leave you, I will never unfasten. I love that word because it conveys the idea that God is connected to us in our daily lives and no matter what is going on in our life, no matter what's, what situation is going on in our lives, God is fastened to you. He does not leave you, even though I know sometimes you go, God, where are you? God has made a promise. This is a proverb, I think, that God will never unfasten from you. He is with you at all times, in all seasons. When it's winter, which by the way I don't like, he's with us. Spring and summer, yes, please. I think Audrey says fall is God's apology for winter. <laughs> I don't know. I, did you say that? Okay, you did. God will never leave you. He's with you all the time. No matter what you go through, please know that. That is extremely important. So we can confidently say, verse 6, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. It's a great verse. Psalm 91.4. 
He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. God is the refuge for all the problems that you encounter in life. The storms that you go through, God is the refuge. And remind, be, be reminded. And it's interesting, he's telling the Hebrews not to make money a pursuit. He also tells uh, Timothy that. But God will never disconnect from you, even though at times he feels like he might be disconnected. And I get it. There's times in my life and yours where you go, God, where are you? But just know that those promises, God has promises, and that he will never disconnect or leave you or I alone. Let me close with this. <clears throat> Marriage is important. Marriage is established by God for one man, one woman. It is to be a source of love. And I realize there may be times when you fight with your spouse. There may be times when you don't agree on things. But it's important. Remain faithful. Love your husband, love your wife. Pray for them. When we were in Hawaii, unbeknownst to me, Audrey got down to the foot of the bed while I was sleeping. She grabbed my feet and she said, make him a man after your own heart. I didn't know about that till much later. And through this crazy life, I think God has honored that prayer. I'm not perfect. That's what a relationship should look like. And there's times that I've failed to do things for my wife. It doesn't mean that you can't learn from that and move on, but marriage is important. Take it seriously. Thank you. By the way, those of you that are here that are married, thank you. And I get it. There may be times when divorce is necessary, infidelity, those types of issues. I can never be convinced from Scripture that God says it's okay to beat your wife. I'm sorry, I can't. And in my flesh, I want to say try beating me. I just think it's wrong. You, you never hit a woman, ever. Even when she's hitting you, you walk away. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. That's biblical. That's Ephesians. And I realize this is a tough sermon. I get it. But it was there. I can't shy away from it. And it's in series. I used to get people say, well, you picked on me today. And I said, well, it's right in a series. I even had people knowing what next Sunday was that they didn't come to church because the verses. Thank you for being here. Steer clear of materialism. Again, it doesn't mean you can't have nice things, but ask the question, does this nice thing have me? 
I think that's a good question to ask. And no matter what, no matter what, God is with you. He is connected and he's not coming disconnected from you. For those of you that have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord.